0: We're in part eight of Ecclesiastes. This is Ecclesiastes nine, buckle up. This is, this is a fun one. All right, here we go. Um, when I was in high school, I think I was a junior when this happened, all right? And I went to Highland Park and it was after school one day. My first car was a Jeep Wrangler. There's a red Jeep Wrangler. You could take the top down. I loved it. I, I may have told the story before. And there's a street right by the stadium. It's called Westchester. And it is one of the most miserable streets to drive on, like when it's crowded. If you go to Highland Park, you know what I'm talking about. Like people are parked on both sides. It's very narrow. And so one day after school, I was leaving. And as I was going, uh, my best friend at the time was in front of me and he had this big F-150. And so we had a bunch of people that were walking around. And so we wanted to be cool. It was like, you know, I got this car, want to be cool in front of everybody. So I'm blaring music, he's blaring music, we're honking, we're kind of waving at people, you know, and as we're going, I I honk, I do something, I'm trying to be cool, and I look over here at some people, kind of like, what's up? And I didn't realize that he had stopped to let someone come through, and so I just, you know, hit the gas and rear-ended him on Westchester, and this is a picture of my car. It's not that bad, but it's just fun high school pick for you there. I was going for the, that's a, that's a great look. I don't know what I was thinking, but kind of got the, got the damage done right there. And that's not terrible. I just kind of bent it out, all right, and then got it fixed later. But his car was $2,000 worth of damage. So I had to pay $2,000. And so if you put yourself in my shoes, I have just rear-ended someone, a loud wreck on Westchester after school so everyone saw this happening and people are laughing. They think it's hilarious. And then I get to find out later that I owe $2,000 because of it. So I'm laughed at and I owe $2,000. It's just great. And so I remember that and how devastated I was, how stressed I was, how embarrassing it was. How I was like, how am I gonna get $2,000? And I now look back on that and I'm laughing about it. Like I'm telling you guys this story we're laughing about it. And I tell you that because this happens all the time where a lot of times things that you think matter in the moment, years down the road, you look back on them and you're like, man, that's not as big a deal as I thought it was. Like, it's okay. And I don't know if you've ever had that happen with something where in the moment it seemed horrible or it seemed crazy or something. And then as time goes on, you were kind of like, that wasn't that big of a deal. It's okay. And I say that because one of the things that Solomon is doing is he is zooming us out and he's trying to get us to see, hey, what actually matters? And sometimes the things that we think matter in the moment aren't things that actually matter over time. When I was in high school, we started a ministry. A lot of you know, it's called Iron Sharpens Iron at Highland Park. And afterwards, when we went to college, I did this thing because I was trying to make a point and I took a survey of people that had graduated from Highland Park, this was a few years later, and basically was asking them, hey, what do you remember about things that you did in high school? And so I asked them all sorts of questions. I asked them, who were the football captains? How many games did y'all win? Who did you take to every dance? Who were the bells? Who were the cheers? Like I asked everything that you can think of that would relate to Highland Park. So you can sub that in for your school. And I just wanted to see simply like five years later, What do people remember? And what I came to find was that pretty much nobody remembered more than 50% of the questions. So just five years later, after they had graduated, most people could not remember a lot of the things that in the moment seemed like they would make or break their lives. And so the lesson, and this is what Solomon's going to tell us, is that a lot of times the things that we think are so crucial now, if we zoom out, we realize that it's going to be okay. And it gives us perspective to focus on things that really, really matter. So what he's doing, we're in chapter nine today. I just looked that just shocked me again when I looked up there, but he is going to start summing up the book. And so he's not going to tell you anything new. What he's going to do is he's going to start applying it to our lives in different ways. And he knows that he's been hitting us pretty hard, hasn't he? And so he knows we need some time to catch our breath and reflect on some of these things that he's saying as we really start applying them to our lives. So, there's a guy that wrote a book on Ecclesiastes. This is kind of from him. He did a really good job on it. His name's David Gibson. And what he says is in this chapter, Solomon uses three hammers to shatter our idolatry and the illusion that we are in control of our lives. And by doing that, by shattering those things, he is going to give us perspective on what truly matters. And it's actually gonna lead us having an unshakable hope. So let me say that again, these are your three hammers. He's gonna go boom, boom, boom. And it is going to crush our idolatry and the illusion that we're in control of our own lives. And once we get up, what we will realize is, hey, these are the things that really matter. And this is how to live with an unshakable hope in an uncertain world. So we're gonna talk about the one thing in life that is certain, then we're gonna skip ahead we're going to talk about the many things in life that are not certain. And then we're going to go back to the middle because he sandwiches it in between the things in life that truly matter. So let's do this. The, verse 1 through 6, the one thing in life that is certain. Y'all like that I'm bringing back the three things, by the way? Okay, throwing that back out there. Uh, Ecclesiastes 9, 1 through 6. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. We got one more. This is an evil And all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope for a living dog is better than a dead lion. What does that even mean? We're going to talk about that. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing and they have no more reward for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. And forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. So what's he talking about? Okay, if you noticed early on, he's saying, and he's been talking about this all in Ecclesiastes, right, is that life's a mystery. Life is unpredictable. He says this in the first part of the verse is good and bad things happen to good and bad people. And so we live in a world that trains us to have karma thinking, where we think if you're a good person, good things will happen. If you're a bad person, bad things happen. That's not how the world works. And that's what Solomon realizes He's like, sometimes life is unpredictable. Good things happen to bad people sometimes. Bad things happen to good people sometimes. We don't know what's going to happen next. God's in control of everything, but life is unpredictable for us. But he says, in the midst of life being unpredictable, there is one thing that is certain. So what is the one thing that is certain in life, according to Solomon? Do you see what it is? Is it every person is guaranteed to die one day. That's the one thing he says that's certain. There's a lot of things that are uncertain. Like, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen tonight. I don't know what's going to happen in 30 minutes. But Solomon says, there's one thing you do know is that one day you're going to die. That's a 100% rate in the world. It's not 99%. It's 100% that every person going to die. In Psalm 139, verse 16, um, the psalmist says about God, he says, your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them, meaning that God knows the exact amount of days that every single one of us is going to live. That has been ordained by God. He knows the exact amount of days that every single one of us are going to live. And a lot of times we don't take time to zoom out and actually think about this. Okay. Um, Solomon says, if you notice when he talks about death, he says that death is an evil thing. And the reason why is because that death is not how God designed the world to work. When God designed the world, it was not intended that death would be something that is experienced. Death is a consequence of sin. So death is a consequence of sin. And this is what Solomon is realizing, is that death is something that you mourn. Now we're going to talk about the Christian perspective on it, but when he says that to be alive, a living dog, is better than to be dead, a deadline. What he means is that when you're living, you still have opportunity, like you still have time in front of you to do things. But he's saying that the time is coming when the things that we think are most important are not going to be important anymore, because we're all going to head to that day. In fact, many of the things that we think are important, when we experience death, they're going to vanish and be forgotten. And so Solomon is wanting us to think about this, is that if you're like me, We want to have it all. We want to know it all. Okay. We want to do it all. We want to achieve it all. We want to be happy forever. We want to have all the answers. We don't ever want to be left scratching our heads. Like, why is that happening to me? I don't understand what's going on. We want to be remembered and celebrated by other people. But here's the truth. And this is what Solomon's saying. And it is a heavy thing to think about, but it leads us to hope is that there's no guarantee that we have another day. Okay, I drove back late at night. I'm not trying to like sound morbid or anything. I'm just being honest. I drove back late at night on Friday night. I spoke on fall retreat and then Aiden and I got in the car and we're driving. There was no guarantee that I would make it back, and I'm not saying that to scare anyone. I'm just saying that's the reality. Is that that was not a promise to me. And so the question, when you think about that, you're like, if if your last day was tomorrow, what would you do today? How would you live today? One of my best friends when he was in college gotten a near accident that was nearly fatal for him. And it changed his life because what he started to do is he would, he would come uh, to us and he asked this question, say, man, I realize that I'm not promised tomorrow. So how would you live today? This was his question. If you know, you're not promised tomorrow, how would you live today when you realize you're not promised tomorrow? And what Solomon is getting at is that the life that we have is a gift to us. God has given it to us as a gift. What do we do with that? Knowing that we don't know how many days we have. Okay, Martin Luther, when he was asked this question, he was like, what would you do if tomorrow you knew was like your last day? The, the story goes, and it's kind of a legend, we don't know if he really said this, but he said, if I knew tomorrow that the world would go to pieces, he said, I would still plant my apple tree. I was like, what are you talking about? Okay, this gets at this sentiment that his belief, and we're gonna talk about this, was that with the life that God has given me, however many days I have, I'm gonna be faithful and enjoy the things that God has given me in the world that he's put me in. There's an Italian proverb. It's a famous proverb. I really like this. It's got a good punch to it. It says, at the end of the game, the king and the pawn go back in the same box. This is what Solomon's saying, is that whether you were a king or whether you were a pawn, when the game's over, you're going back in the box. So whether you had all the money in the world or you were poor on the streets, you're going in the same destination, right? We all have the same destiny. And you can fill that in with anything. Okay, Kevin Hart, another prophet, um, he had an interview one time. And in Hollywood, this is what he said. He said in Hollywood, in a moment of rare honesty, it's really interesting because he's always being funny and like taking ice baths and stuff like that. I don't know if y'all have seen that video. But he said, you have to be careful in Hollywood because you are presented with things that look like they'll last forever, but they can actually be taken from you at any time. He said that. He said, you gotta be careful. Because at any time, these things that you're promised, the people are giving you, they can actually be taken at any time. And this is what Solomon's causing us to do. He's causing us to reflect on that. So that's the one thing in life that is certain. Okay? But many things in life are not certain. So this, we're going to skip ahead to verse 11. This is the second point. Okay, This is equally confusing. So here we go. Um, again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. So if you're like, how is this gonna give me an unshakable hope? We're getting there, take your time. We're, we'll, we'll be there soon. But this is what he says, is that when you look at this, you're like, wait, the race is not given to the swift? That doesn't make sense. The race is always given to the swift. Like, um, like uh, Tyreek Hill would beat me in a race. That would just happen. And I know that's shocking when you look at me, but that's what would happen. He's the cheetah. But Solomon's like, hey, sometimes in life, slow people win races, okay? Smaller teams beat the big boys on Saturdays. Not gonna call out anyone, but I'm just saying it happens, okay? The battle, the strong don't always win the battle. The wise people don't always get the bread. The intelligent people don't always get riches. So what he's saying is that sometimes things don't make sense, is that time and chance just happen. A lot of times, like most of the time, the strong people do win the battle. The intelligent people do get the high paying job. But he says sometimes unforeseen things happen. Circumstances change. Situations arise and our plans get shattered. I don't know if you've ever had this happen where you're like, I had this completely planned. Like when I packed my suitcase for Senegal, right? I've told you about this. I had the whole thing figured out. They still lost my luggage. And so things happen. And this is what Solomon is saying is that you've got to put your confidence in something that's not under the sun. Because if you put your confidence in something that's under the sun, stuff happens. Things change. Chance happens. And he's saying um, that one thing that you can't control, like one thing could change all of your plans. James says the same thing in James 4, 13 to 15. So you can check that out. And if you're in a small group, you're going to talk about that. This week a little bit. So death is certain, but life is uncertain. So what do we do with that? How do we live in light of that? Well, in our world today, I want to start by telling you this. There are ways that people respond to the fact of death. Life is uncertain. Death is certain. How do we live? One time um, I was teaching a Bible study when I used to do middle school ministry. And there were a group of guys. I love this big Bible study. And there was a group of guys that they wanted to go deeper. They wanted to ask deeper questions. So I'd always meet with these guys. Um, once a week and just answer their questions and go deeper and we were at we were outside of New York sub which is right by Highland Park Middle School having this discussion Bibles are open and this uh, guy who I believe was in eighth grade at the time walked by the Bible study and he started making fun of it he started laughing at them he was like you guys are wasting your time doing this living this way and all that and they didn't know what to do and I'm gonna tell you what I said to him and I, I, was, I kind of stung him a little bit. I was trying to get him to think, all right? But that's how a lot of people live is in light of certain death, what a lot of people do is they basically reject all religious and moral principles and they just believe that life is meaningless. And so they, they're gonna do whatever they want. And that's a very common approach. I would say that's how a ton of people live in high school is we're gonna kind of ignore the thing that's coming And we're going to reject God and we're going to live however we want. Now, what I told him, and I tried to say this as gently as I could, is I said, we could be wrong. Like opening our Bibles here, like what we believe, we very well could be wrong. But if you're wrong, it's going to cost you a lot more than if I'm wrong. And so you really, I would encourage you to really spend time to make sure that you know what you believe because if you're wrong about what we're saying, it's gonna cost you everything. And I don't want it to cost you everything. And I actually said that to him. and He was you know, kind of like, what do you do with that? Um, the second thing that a lot of people do, uh, this is a quote from Brennan Manning in one of his books. This is a very deep quote. I'm gonna explain what this means. I thought this was genius. I read this in the summer. I was like, this is so Ecclesiastes. He says, one trait of the human psyche is its ability to make irrational judgments about worthwhile human investments along with its refusal to view light in light life in light of eternity. So what he's saying is that a lot of times we think that things are worthwhile or not worthwhile, but we don't think about eternity very much. Like we're so in the moment, we're so in the temporal, we're so in the here and now that we don't spend a lot of our time thinking about eternity. And then this is what he says happens when we do that. He says whether it's the addict whether it's the self-importance of the workaholic, the self-interest of the movie mogul, or the self-absorption of the average person in his or her plans and projects, we all weave a fantasy of invincibility of what someone calls the denial of death. So I had a conversation with a a student in Highland Park, this was last year, and he very honestly told me, he said that, He's very afraid of thinking about death, but he doesn't want to engage God. And so he's just going to deny it and distract himself by living however he wants to. He, he told me that. Okay? And that's what Brennan Man is saying, is that what a lot of people do in our world is they, they will deny the reality of death and distract themselves. Okay? Now, as Christians, what we often do is sometimes we deny it and we try to put on a smiley face and act like everything's fine when there's actually sadness involved. Um, Other times we can be overwhelmed by the brokenness of the world and God offers us a different way to live. What you're gonna see in verses seven through 10 is that the way that God offers us to live is that we as Christians can be honest about the realities of the sadness and brokenness of this world and things like death. We don't have to act like it's not sad, but we also can live with hope in the midst of them. So Christianity to me, is really the only worldview to where you can live with honesty and hope at the same time. You don't have to deny or distract, but you also don't have to live in this constant, overwhelmed devastation. You can be honest and hopeful at the same time. So let's end with this and talk about the things in life that truly matter. This is verse 7 through 10. Solomon says, and you wouldn't expect this in light of what he's saying. How do we live in light of this? This is what he says. Go eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Verse 7 is the book of Ecclesiastes in a nutshell. It's how the preacher Solomon in his old age came to see the world, and he invites us to see the world. He sees life as a gift from God, and he says you can trust him when you don't understand everything. That last part of the verse is one of my favorite parts of Ecclesiastes. It says, for God has already approved of what you do. He says, you can live in the reality of God's approval of you. This points us to something even bigger. In Hebrews 9, uh, 27 to 28, which you're going to talk about in your small groups this week, I think I have it up here and then we'll we'll go back to um, Ecclesiastes. The writer of Hebrews says, just as it is appointed for man to die once, And after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And so what the writer is telling us and what Solomon didn't fully understand is that in Jesus, if you've trusted in him, your judgment day has been moved from the future to the past because your judgment was taken on the cross, and that means that you now live under the smile of God, not the frown of God. And I talked about this Wednesday night at the gathering. A lot of us live under the frown of God. Like, we think that he's mad at us. We think that he's looking to punish us. We think that he's, his approval of us depends on how good or bad of a day that we just had obeying him. And Solomon just pointed to this, is that in Jesus, you live under the approval of God. You can now live from approval not for approval. There was a story I've heard, and I've told it to you guys before, that um, there was a girl that was really bad at math. And so what her teacher did is met with her and said, hey, I promise you, I'm gonna give you an A before the class even starts. Like I'm guaranteeing you an A. You don't have to freak out about it. You don't have to live in stress. I'm giving you an A. You know what she then went on to do? She went on to get an A in the class on her own. Because the fear of judgment had been taken away from her. And so she naturally, in freedom and joy, was able to pursue the subject and she got an A. And so what this verse means, what the gospel means, is that God has given you an A before you've taken the class. You're getting an A on judgment day because Jesus earned it for you. And so the question is, well, how would you live if you knew that was true? You would live free. You would live with joy. You would live from approval. It means that it's not all on you to go achieve meaning, to try to grasp for things that aren't going to last. You don't have to do that. You get to just receive meaning because Jesus achieved it for you. That's the gospel. Okay, now if we go back to these verses, um, if you believe that, how does that affect your life? Let your garments always be white, verse 8. Let not oil be lacking on your head. I'm going to sum all this up. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love, all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there's no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. So here are some things that he says. He says, enjoy the life that God has given you. This is what the Bible calls your lot. God has given you your life. He is sovereign over that. And he is present with you. In your life. I've told you about Brother Lawrence, who wrote the book Practicing the Presence of God. He learned that he could practice and enjoy God's presence all the time, even when he was cooking in a kitchen. Jesus is Emmanuel. That is God with us. So you can practice his presence in the ordinariness of your life. As you go to school, as you go to practices, God is present. He's with you. You can enjoy and be aware of his presence in the realities of your life. I actually have an application. I just realized this. Here's the two things we do with this. Enjoy what he's given you and practice his presence in the ordinary things. And then the second thing is is that what death and uncertainty and sadness cause us to do is it makes us homesick for heaven. It makes us long for the place and the days when that's not going to be a reality. And so when you experience the hard things, the reality of death, God is using those tools to dislodge you from seeking security here under the sun. He's reminding you that this world is not your home, but the same thing's true of his good gifts. Because what his good gifts are on earth, as great as they are, they're imperfect. So they are just a taste of the joy that is to come. That's why in verses 7 through 10, he uses wedding imagery over and over again. He's talking about enjoying the relationships that God has given you, this wedding imagery. Everything is pointing towards this wedding where Christ is going to take us in and you're going to experience everlasting joy. So both the bad things and the good things awaken this desire for heaven in us. And that means that it gives you an unshakable hope because if this is true, if your hope is in Jesus then your, think about this, your long-term worst case scenario is resurrection and everlasting life and joy with him. That's your worst case scenario. And so if you're stressing out about how oh, what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen in college, what's going to happen with this relationship, your long-term worst case scenario is resurrection and everlasting life and joy with him. Everything in life is temporary except for his love for you. That's the only thing that you can't lose. If you have that, you can live with security. If you don't have that, you're gonna always be insecure. You never can lose that. So I wanna give you some reflection questions and then I wanna end with one thing. And then Isaac is gonna come back up here. These are some questions. We're gonna skip that verse. I want you to think about these questions. Again, if you're in a small group, these are questions you're gonna discuss this week. But I want you to think about it now. Are you confident in your destiny? after you die, if you're not confident in that, that you're going to be with God in heaven because of what Jesus did, not because of anything you did, um, I would love to talk to you today and any one of our residents would love to do that as well. Even if you're like, man, I've always grown up in church, but yeah, there's this thing in me that I don't know that I'm confident in that. We would love to talk to you um, today about that. Are you living from God's approval or are you living for it? Like pay attention to the voices in your head tomorrow and the rest of the day today. There's this voice that's either telling you that you are approved of by God and you can live in that reality, or there's this voice that's saying, you've got to get other people to approve of you. You've got to get God to approve of you. Are you living from God's approval or for it? What does it look like to practice God's presence in the ordinary things of your life right now? Like, not just here, not just on Wednesday nights or in your small group, but all the time. What does it look like to enjoy and practice His presence in the ordinary things of your life. And I want you to think about this. What about your lot? What about the life God's given you right now? It annoys you, bores you, or pains you. Like, you can be honest about that. Like I said, what about your life? You're like, man, I don't like this right now. Let's be honest about that. What about your lot are you thankful for and is beautiful and is a really good thing? How might God be at work in both of those categories in your life? Okay, I wanna end with this thought. In, in The Last Battle by C.S. Lewis, the last Narnia book, um, which, yeah, you, and I know you love it every time I quote it. So I'm glad you're here today. You can get me excited to quote this. Um, this is how it ends, Emily. All right, they're moving into the new Narnia from the old Narnia. And this is, this is what the unicorn says. And I think this is such a perfect way to end as we reflect on these things today. He says, it was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed, and then he cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we love the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. Come further up, come further in. The things in your life right now are pointing you to the new Narnia. It's pointing you to what you were really made for. And so what that means, guys, is that death and hard things, they are here. But this means that God is here too. He's right with you in the ordinary things of your life. Because of Jesus, death is going to die one day and God is always with you and he's gonna be with you forever. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Ecclesiastes, how the whole Bible is a story that points to Jesus. And Lord, we thank you and what can be seemingly obscure actually makes us reflect about the fact that we're gonna die and that's a real thing and we need to enter into that and in thinking about how that would affect us now. But when we look at the cross and we look at the resurrection, we are filled with hope. We have an unshakable hope and we have a new perspective of what really matters. Lord, we thank you for Jesus that we can be people filled with an unshakable hope in a unshakable perspective of what matters here in this life. We pray that we would practice your presence this week and we would look forward to the day when we will get to do that perfectly forever. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.